0: Welcome to Grace Bible Fellowship's Sermon Archive. Our prayer is that you will be abundantly blessed as you listen to this sermon delivered by pastor-teacher Paul Francisco. Join us as we are appointed to the grace found in Jesus Christ alone, as recorded in God's holy word. What are you most confident
1: in? Do you have several talents or expertise in an area that you feel extremely confident in? Paul makes a profound statement at this point in his letter. He says the words, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. In everything he knows and has experienced, he banks his life on this most important reality out of all of life. And how, but think of what happened this week in the shooting in Uvalde. It's horrific to consider anyone being brutally murdered. Then we look to these brave teachers who were trying to protect their children and lost their lives. And these innocent these children slaughter. We live in a world of evil. We live in a world where the value of life has been reduced so much so that we are seeing more and more and more of these tragic events happening. Schools or even in churches. Remember back in 2018, we were literally 15 shooting that took place in First Baptist where even some of our congregational members lost family. There's a lot of pain there's a lot of hurt surrounding us. Tomorrow we celebrate Memorial Day. It's a day that we recognize those who had paid the ultimate sacrifice for our precious country that has given us the freedom to, to speak out and say what we want to say, to go against one another, to have the freedom to worship the way we want. We are thankful for these men and women that gave you life. But I want you to consider, beloved, the greatest message. Of all time. Where the one. Laid down his life. Willingly. For humanity. For the sins of the world. Led. Like a sheep to the slaughter. So that you. And I. And all who would trust and believe in Jesus Christ. As Lord and Savior. Repentance and belief that he rose from the dead in triumphant victory over sin and death once for all can have eternal life. This is the message that the apostle banked his life on. I want to propose to you today from this message, as those who call themselves Christians. That's you brothers and sisters who called yourself to be followers of Christ. There is nothing, nothing more important than knowing the gospel and having been transformed by it. This is God's good news that brings about eternal life. So to give you a little context of where we've been in the book of Romans as we've been systematically working through this, Paul, in his greeting, verses 1 through 7, establishes his identity as a bondservant of Christ. He established his apostleship, his authority, directly being revealed by Christ himself, the Word of God, inspired by the Spirit, to repent in words for us to have today. And then he connected it with his prayer for the Roman church. In verses 8 through 15, that's what we've been laboring in, in his prayer, that it connects with a heart with a heart of thankfulness with praying in the spirit praying for a heart of willing submission to God's will praying with love and affection for the Roman church his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and then praying with this humility knowing that he too needed to be encouraged in the gospel he then moves now to this message the gospel, which is the centrality of everything, everything we're going to hear through all the letter of Romans is pivoted, is in the center of this reality. He writes in this letter, and he, how he tries to live his life to the glory of God through his Master and Lord Jesus Christ, and this is why Paul says he is unashamed of the gospel. And that's for those of you who like to write. I had to take this sermon of two verses and break it up in two sermons. That's how much we're gonna get, I think, believe, from this, this text. And so our first point is the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel. And then what we will see in our second point is God's power in or through the gospel. And I wanted to briefly give you that more of that 30,000 foot view, because these are major doctrines of the faith, in justification, sanctification, intercession, which is greatly neglected, I think, in the church today, and that, that this power is offered for all. So I hope through today's message of the gospel, you will be able to hang your hat on these truths. But if you don't get anything else out of today, I want you to get this. I hope you understand. What is the gospel? What is this gospel that we say we believe? And I pray through today's text that you might be able to walk away from here and have a tool or something so that you can share that gospel with your sister. A brother, with your parents, perhaps they're unbelievers, with your children, with your spouse, with your next door neighbor, with your fellow students, or your future fellow students, or your co-workers, or to the man on the street that many are passing by, like the story of the Good Samaritan, as they ask for help, perhaps crossing over the border into Mexico, where our brother Alfredo and his wife are ministering amongst these children and people there, that you would have confidence in the utmost centrality of what makes us Christian. So, Paul was a man who has been deeply impacted by one ultimate message message that comes both with conviction and power. He has just told the Roman church of his intentions of coming to assure them. But he also spoke compelled by God and for their spiritual need. And because the gospel is for all, he is more eager, as verse 15 tells us, to preach this gospel then Paul makes this bold statement. Why is Paul not ashamed? Why is Paul not ashamed? The text tells us, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In very simplest of uh, forms, putting it this way, that it's because he's he knows the power. He knows the power of the gospel. This is, as John MacArthur says, the last mark of spiritual service as he's been laboring, verses 8 through 15. And it is unashamed boldness. You see, Paul was imprisoned in Philippi. He was chased out of Thessalonica. He was smuggled out of Damascus and Berea. Laughed at in Athens. Considered a fool in Corinth and declared a blasphemer and a lawbreaker amongst his own people in Jerusalem. Paul was stoned and left for dead in Lystra. However, he was never deterred by opposition. He never was disheartened by criticism and never ashamed of the gospel. Paul is not ashamed, but he's proud, in fact. Of this gospel you see many in the world find it a message of foolishness if you look to first Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 it says the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness what is foolish about the gospel what is foolishness concerning the gospel everything you do not have eyes to see. See, Scripture tells us that these things are hidden to those who are not in Christ. They have to be revealed to us by the Spirit, through the power of God. Many find the Trinity foolish, that it's not many gods, or demigods, or my gods, but one person. One God in three persons. You see, the world finds it ludicrous to consider that human hearts are wicked and radically sinful. They don't like to be told that they're sinners. They don't like to be told that they're living a life not pleasing to the Lord. Every year we celebrate a weekend, a celebration of Jesus' death and resurrection, and the world finds it absurd and incomprehensible. For most. Consider the atonement. Many find it eluding. Jesus being the only way. Have you ever heard that it's just intolerable? That we're a bunch of bigots? I mean, the world tells us there's many ways to God. Whatever works for you. Every other religion in the world, or that lack thereof, can fathom that Jesus, cannot fathom that Jesus' return marks the time when everyone will bow and confess that Jesus is Lord. You see, those who are the captain of their own ship, those who do not want to be told what to do, those who are happy and content, living life for themselves, hate that message. When you see the gospel when heard and understood we are confronted with a reality. We're confronted with a reality and response. And there's only two options, two ways to respond. We either abandon it out of embarrassment or hatred or rejection or we embrace the shame. But I must remind you, friends, that if we choose to abandon it out of embarrassment, we must heed the warnings of Jesus, his words found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verse 38. Remember, Jesus said these words? He says, Whoever is ashamed of me in my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him Will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels? Friends, we must not be ashamed. Christian, we must not be ashamed. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we must not be ashamed, but we must be bold in the gospel. Our sister prayed this morning that we would have boldness. Paul was both full of joy and emboldened by the privilege of proclaiming its truth. But this begs a question for all of us. Why then are so many? Why then are we who claim to be a Christian so afraid to share this gospel? See, I like how MacArthur puts it. I think it paints a picture of our reality. When we have opportunity to speak for Christ, we often do not. The gospel is unattractive, intimidating, and repulsive to the natural, unsafe person. And the ungodly spiritual system that now dominates our world to the simple heart of unbelievers The gospel doesn't appear to be good news, but bad. You see, beloved, the fear of men and the fear of not being able to handle worldly arguments seems to be the greatest snare to our witness to the gospel. See, many are tempted to water down the gospel for this very reason. This is why we have false gospels that are being created It permeates our American culture especially. And it's happening in places like Africa and other places where the gospel is being associated with health, wealth, and prosperity. See, the world likes that because it's not offensive. It's not offensive to the world because it offers what the world wants. In an inoffensive Gospel is an inoperative gospel. Friends, it plays right into the hands of Satan. But the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Praise be to God. God's thoughts and his ways are greater than men. 1 Corinthians 1 chapter verse 25 it says for the foolishness of god is wiser than men and the weakness of god is stronger than men one commentary says the very message that peter considers foolish not peter sorry people consider foolish actually contains the power of god for salvation this is what the Apostle Paul makes his life on. It is through the foolishness of preaching that he chooses, God chooses to save. Foolishness. He takes a sinful man and woman in your spheres of influence and calls us to preach a message that the world sees as folly. 1 Corinthians 1 18. For the word of cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Have you considered the power of God? Our brother Norm, last week in our study, he says so often we forget about the power of God. Don't you find it amazing that God would even save you? Yes. I, I I am. I'm an what I find even more amazing? it keeps me safe. I mean, my heart wants to go other ways all the time. And it's through His power in the Holy Spirit that He keeps us. But this begs the question, what is see, this is the thesis and theme of the letter to the Romans. It's the most life-transforming truth to have one's eternity completely altered. And for us who call ourselves Christians, it is both reasonable and the most important message we can know. It is the only message by which men can be and are saved. Tom Schreiner says, the gospel announces the way of salvation for those who hear it with faith. The good news that overcomes the bad news. We are saved from something terrible and for something glorious. You see, the gospel is a message about a bloody Savior and an empty tomb. It speaks to an execution and a torture on a cross. It is a blood sacrifice that appeases God's wrath. It's about the power of being raised from the dead after three days in the tomb message of the gospel must be understood mm-hmm. beloved I know we struggle, I know it's hard for some of us some of us we fear men of course but we just simply feel like I can't explain it correctly, I, I'm afraid of that I was going to mess things up, let me give you a great word of encouragement you cannot mess up what God has ordained. Everything that is said and is done is according to God's sovereign providential plan before the foundations of the world. We're just given a message and a call called the Great Commission and the Great Commandment to love God, to love others, to share this message to all peoples, across the table, across the nations. And I think it's very, very important for us to be able to at least have the basic understanding and concept of the gospel. So there are many ways that we can hear. I'm sure you guys have heard the Romans Road and, you know, faith evangelism, other other means of hearing the gospel. But I, I, I want to break down three examples for you. Three, I think, simple Maybe not so simple for some of you, I don't know, but that's why I chose three different ways to help you understand the gospel and how to share the gospel. The first, uh, I just call it the four steps. The four steps, I break it down in God, man, Christ, response. God, man, Christ, response. God is the creator of the heavens the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Hallelujah. God created man in his own image. God created man to be vice rulers in the garden. God created all the plants, the animals, the fish, the birds, everything. And in Genesis 1:31. God sought all that he made, and behold, it was good. Very good. But Genesis 3 rolls around. This is where we learn about man. Man Mm -hmm. sinned. The fall happened. There was a serpent named Satan Crafty, who came to the woman before you want to put blame in woman here. I want you to understand who was standing beside her the whole entire time Was well, she was going to talk to you by that slide serpent. And what happened in the fall was that man did not trust and believe. The same guy that they walked with in the garden and talked with that's what that song, and he walked Talk. Yeah, that's an awesome song, right? In the garden? We, they had access to immortality, to the tree of life, to taste and eat, and it was good, and it was good, and it was holy, and it was righteous and just. And man turned from that trust, from that belief. And he trusted Satan. He trusted the Of, of knowledge of evil, good and evil. And because of that, it came with curses. It came ultimately with the curse of death. Death was going to happen. So we have God created man, sin, but then God in his divine love and mercy did not leave us to ourselves. Christ was foretold in Genesis Through the seed of the woman, in which the one would come. The anointed Messiah Christ. That's what it means. Anointed One Messiah would come through a woman. On down the promise of the covenants through the Davidic line, Christ would come. And then he would live perfectly what you not. He obeyed perfectly the Father through the help of the Spirit. But he didn't just live the life we couldn't. He died the death that we deserved. You see, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. None is righteous. No, not one. That's you. That's me. We deserve the right punishment, the just punishment of death and hell in an eternity separated from God. But God was merciful. He loved his people. He loves rebels and brings them to the foot of the cross where the blood was spilt on your behalf and my behalf. And then... Jesus rose from the dead after three days and conquered sin and death once and for all. We have God created man, sin, Christ lived, died, and had risen, but we must respond to that reality. We either repent and believe, which is the fruit of God's redeeming love, repentance and belief, or we reject this. For those who Accept exactly. that reality, there's a promise for the reward of eternal life. And those who reject it all the way to the death, there is a reward of damnation in the lake of fire. And that's the reality. So this is the message that we must respond to. As Romans 10:9 says, that if we confess with our mouth, and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and he rose from the dead, you will be saved. Praise the Lord. That is the gospel message in four easy steps. For some of you, and this tends to be a way I like to think about it a lot, there's creation, fall, reconciliation, and consummation. See, God was the creator of all things, right? And because he's the creator of all things, he is the sovereign creator and ruler over all things. He has the right to do and to judge and to proclaim his will to all creation. He even created us as many creators when we have children. That was the first command he actually gave us, right? To be fruitful and multiply. Some of us have taken it to five, and some of us have taken it to two. That's okay. God is the sovereign creator of the heavens and the earth. But because of the fall, and Adam and me fell into sin and brought about the curses. Let's go back to Genesis just real quick and look at what that curse brought. Genesis chapter 3, beginning of your Bibles. Right after they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, something happened. In fact, let's go back to verse six and want you to see what happened. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, how our thoughts and our eyes can so deceive us. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And And the eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed thick leaves together and made themselves one closet. They had shame. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden and it wasn't of joy, but it is a fear at this moment because of their shame. And the cooler day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees <laughs> of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, because that's who he created first, who he created to lead, which he obviously wasn't, because he stood by and watched it happen. Where are you? He said And he said, Adam. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? This is a rhetorical question. He already knows the answer. And then the man said, this is how awesome we are, all right? We don't like to take blame for ourselves. This is the woman you gave to me. She gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Yeah, see, many of us are like, yeah, I mean, yeah, look, look, she cause me to sin. You know who he was blaming? You know who he was blaming? God. God. The woman you gave me, God. See the manifestation of sin there? Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman, well, she don't want to take on blame, right? She says the serpent deceived me, and I. So here we are deflecting, justifying our sins, right? Because we don't ever do that, right? I mean, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field? In your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, Genesis three fifteen. Okay, enmity against each other, between your offspring and her offspring. Children of God or children of the devil. See, you're either bowing down in worship to the one true God, or you're bowing down to Satan. You belong to one. He shall bruise your head, and you. Bruise his heel. See, the serpent would think he had victory by taking the life of Christ, but instead his head would be crushed through the seed of woman. Then we see that woman has an increase in pain and childbearing, that her desire for a husband and ungodly desire, in other she wants to take. sin, right? That's sin. I want to control the man. Yeah, right? But then, you know, we have that machismo, right? Woman, right? So it says that he shall rule over you. That's not servant like leadership. That's not what God designed. Right? And Adam said, because, and he said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, See, oh yeah, it's her fault right No, you, God gave me the right, and these are the tree which I committed. You shall not eat of it. They lost immortality, they lost it. I said, Cursed is the ground because of you in pain. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, you shall bring forth, and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread. We will have thorns. Tribulations. We will work hard by the sweat of our brow because of this sin. By the sweat of your face, you shall be bred till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That is the curse of sin. they fail. It's a sin, and because of that sin, we all get to inherit sin in our lives. I never had to teach my children how to say no. Have you? Jesus Christ, though, in his coming down from his heavenly throne, fully God, fully man, came in the humble form flesh, in humanity, in the baby. A same like your baby here needing to be fed, to be held, to be loved. He came in that fragile state of humanity to be a servant to all, to experience our pain, to experience our death. And he did it perfectly. He obeyed the law perfectly. And he died The death that we deserve, so that we could be reconciled to Him. So there would be a propitiation for sin, atoning sacrifice taking place, judicial act of God on behalf of sinful men through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. So that we can one day walk again with God. Hallelujah. So that there would be a consummation because Christ will return again. The lion will lay down with the lamb. There will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sin. All oh, praise and glory to God for that day for those of us who have trusted in Christ Jesus. Look at the end of the book, Revelations chapter 22, very last page. Of your Bible. Beginning with verse 1 of chapter 22 of Revelation. Street of the city, also on either side of the river, what's there again? The tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything cursed, but the throne of God and of the land will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his. Son for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever. Okay. Yeah. Is that good news? It's good news. Last one. I mean I know our brother Russ at one point in time taught a class, and I brought these two. Um, two Ways to Live. It's like gospel track. Real easy to explain. Has the same scriptures and verses, things that I put there. Um, what is the gospel by Greg Gilbert? And those four points I just got done explaining. You um, can get, we can get these are cheap too if you want them. Um, our brother Gustavo, before I go into this last one, offered to make these little leather pouches and these little small tiny index cards so you can do scripture memorization. I'm going to share some scriptures with you. You can carry you. these and you'll have the gospel with you at all times because. He makes it so small. I mean, some of you won't be able to read it, but he makes it small enough where you can carry it in your pocket all the time. So, in two ways to live, there's essentially six points to this one. Uh, The first point is God rules. You see that God is the loving ruler of the world. He made the world, and he made us, being made in his image and likeness, rulers of the world under him. Revelations 4, 11. That's what I have on this first scripture here. It says, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So God rules, right? He has a crown. God rules. Second, man rebelled. We all reject the ruler, God, by trying to run life our own way and without him. But we failed to... Rule ourselves, more or less, rule anything else in this creation. So, Romans 3, 10 and 11. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. See, we don't, there's not like there's a list, a hundred on the list, 99 for God and one for Satan, and we're like, ah, yeah, I choose Satan. No, it's not like that. No one seeks God at all. We're in enmity with God. It's not that we find God, that God finds us. See, and thirdly, we have one life. But this one life comes with the judgment. See, God won't let us rebel forever. God's punishment for rebellion is death and judgment. Hebrews 9, 27, and just it is is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Four. so we have God rules, man rebel, one life and judgment. Fourth, Christ's work. I hope you guys are noticing the thing. God is the one who created everything. God's the one in charge. Man messed things up, and then you know Christ has to fix it, right? So Christ works because of His love. God sent His Son into the world. Jesus always lived under God's rule perfectly. By dying in our place, He took our punishment and brought about forgiveness. First Peter. Chapter three, verse eighteen: For Christ also suffered, suffered once and for all for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. God rules, man rebel. One life in judgment. Christ's work, resurrection. God raised Jesus to life again as the ruler of the world. Jesus has conquered death. Now gives new life and will return to judge. 1 Peter one three. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we have the resurrection now. And finally, we're stuck with, again, with this response our way versus God's new way. If we choose our way, we reject the ruler and we try to run life. I don't know. You know what the result is for Lilith? Condemned by God, death, and judgment. That's the bad news. But the good news that overcomes this bad news is this message. That if we respond to God in his way, submit to Jesus as the ruler and rely on Jesus' death and resurrection, the result is forgiven by God and it's effort. These are three examples. If any of you want, I, I'll give you. If you want one of these tracks, I will give you. If you want, we can figure out get it. I, I even give you my scriptures here. You can use this. I, I have no problem providing that. I want you to know this message to be able to share this message. You see, it's this message that Paul was never ashamed because he knew the gospel was the power of God for salvation. This message comes with great power, supernatural power. And we who call ourselves Christians must know this message. And for it it is as the very core of our existence of faith. The result of this gospel is overwhelmingly good news. Because it's the power of God for salvation. And that's our last point here. God's power in the gospel. Paul is very eager to preach this gospel as mentioned in verse 15. And now he states that he's not ashamed of it, for he knows its power. For it is the power of God for salvation. You know that word power there is the Greek word for dynamite? Dynamo? It's it's explosive in nature. It's supernatural Power. It's God's power. And simply put, Paul is unashamed of the gospel because it comes with great power. Power from God. Man has no power to change his own nature. And the law, for those who want to lean to the law because they need a checklist, the law only reveals sin to man. Man has no power to save, and the law reveals his sin that has no power to save. It's only The power of God that is able to overcome man's sinful nature in a part spiritual life. Romans 5.6 For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. What to the world seems to be utter absurdity is in fact the power by which God transforms from the power of death and gives them the right to be called children of God. Praise God. The kingdom of God doesn't consist of words, but power. All children of God, no matter how gifted, no matter how talented you are, we all have human limitations, and God uses us broken, sinful, weak, puny, uneducated, or overeducated, whatever. Your status is as a means of His redeeming and sustaining power when we serve Him faithfully. God's greatest mission, strategy is you. The gospel comes with power, but it's packaged deeply with profound truths. Truths that can be studied for a lifetime and not exhausted. We call these teachings doctrines, meaning study of God. Theos lagas, study of God of the faith, and there are three doctrines in which we are directly related that are directly related to the gospel power, powers message, justification, sanctification, and intercession. Simply put, be the justification. There is power in justification. That power is to help you and me become children. That's the simplest form of that understanding. That's the point in which we are declared children of God, declared righteous. For it is the power of God for our salvation. God being just, the only holy and righteous God, is just, declares us righteous only by one way, through His Son, Jesus Christ. We are justified by God's wrath being satisfied on the cross are justified by a gift of grace, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Justified through the redemption in Christ. Justified through Christ's propitiation by his blood. God is the righteous judge and jury. Romans 3, verse 21 to 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's God's word for God's people. Since then, God is the only one holy and perfectly righteous. Therefore, he alone is able to declare a sinner forgiven. And he chose to do so by his son's blood to be spilt on behalf of sinners. We can only be declared righteous by Christ's life, death, and resurrection. This is how God's righteousness is revealed, for it is the power of God for salvation. And God's righteousness is revealed by producing a faith that is an ongoing faith. That's what verse 17 tells us that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Then there's power in sanctification. Simply put, again, you become a child of God through justification and you grow as a child of God in sanctification. From faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You see, God's holiness, did you know this, beloved? Do the search. Go to Bible Gateway. Go. There, there's a lot of things out there and, and you can just type the word holy or holiness in there. God's holiness is mentioned 4, 645 times in the Bible with 272 times in the context of being holy or becoming holy. It is God's will for us to be fo- holy for He is holy this means living a godly and righteous life daily living filled with acts of faith leviticus chapter 11 verse 45 for i am the lord who brought you up out of the land of egypt to be your god you shall therefore be holy for i am holy god requires you to be holy but Praise the Lord, since we all fall short of glory of God and we cannot live up to that standard. He gives us, through our faith in Jesus Christ, for faith, or from faith, for faith, he gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us a helper. We can't do this on our own, but it is given to us through the Holy Spirit. He is our promised helper through Christ. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the helper... The Holy Spirit from whom the Father will send in my name, as Jesus' words, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Our sanctification is a progressive sanctification. It is a progressive growing as a child of God. It is a progressive holiness. We live in the already and not yet. This is why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 through 8. Let me just read this for you. Finally then, brothers, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. You want to know what the will of God is? Right here. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. And then he goes on giving a list of things that are not sanctified, the things that are not holy, that you abstain from sexual normality. that each of you who you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of the lust like the Gentiles, who do not know. Body, who do not know God, but that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is his avenger of all things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man. This is why you don't have to fear men. But who gives his Holy Spirit? Someone rejects this message you share, he's not rejecting you. She's not rejecting your words, your eloquence, your speech. They are rejecting Christ Himself. But here's the last doctrine I'm going to mention here the power and intercession. This is ongoing salvation. For it is in the righteousness of God, is revealed from faith, for faith probably the most neglected doctrine of these powerful doctrines. You know, intercession is talking about what Jesus is doing right now, on earth, on your behalf. Dane Ortland says the atonement accomplished our salvation, but intercession is the moment by moment application of that atonement work. You see, for many of us, our functional Jesus, the one we think about, is the one who did everything already. He isn't really the one doing anything right now. Everything we need to be saved, we tend to think, is already accomplished. But Christ is a complete Savior. He's a complete Savior. Yeah. Not just in the already and not yet. You see, Christ's present heavenly intercession on our behalf reflects the fullness of victory of his earthly work. You guys remember that scripture? he's In Romans chapter 8, he intercedes for us on our behalf before the right hand of the Father. He's doing it at this very moment as you sit here and listen to this message. He's praying for you. John, John Bunyan wrote concerning the subjective reality of the gospel. He says it this way. He says, as you must know, men are justified by him. So you must know the readiness that is in him to receive and do for those what they need that come unto God by him. Nothing pleases him better than to give what he has away, than to bestow it upon the poor and needy. You see, God's good posture right now in heaven is in heaven but his disposition and deepest desire is to pour out his heart on our behalf before the Father. The intercession of Christ is his heart connecting our heart with the Father's heart. Christ's intercession comes from a place of one who identifies with us. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, letter Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 13, 15. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every, every Respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We are being taken by the hand by our Savior Jesus and led deep into his heart. He is showing us the unrestrained embodiment of Jesus with his people. He sympathizes. consider your own life, when the relationship goes sour, when the feelings of futility come flooding in, when it feels like life is passing us by, when it seems that our one shot at significance has slipped through our fingers, when we can't sort out our emotions, when the long-time friend lets us down, when a family member betrays us. When we feel deeply misunderstood, when we are laughed at by the impressive, in short, when the fallenness of the world closes in on us and makes us want to throw in the towel, right there, we have a friend
0: who knows exactly
1: what such testing feels like. And he sits close to us, he embraces us as we seek further into pain we sink further into felt isolation the bible corrects us we are never alone the sorrow that feels so isolating so unique was endured by him the past and now is shouldered by him in the present and the all and the one who shares in all our pain shares in it as the pure and holy sinless one you see the power of the gospel shows us That we are saved. The power of the gospel shows us that we will be saved. And the power of the gospel shows us now that we are being saved from faith for faith. There is an ongoing and continuous work in salvation. We should be amazed that we are Christian. As I said earlier, be even more amazed that we remain a Christian. God is so powerful enough to save us by the gospel, and he is powerful enough to keep us in the gospel. Jude rightly says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. The gospel presented in the church should be made beautiful. This comes both from the power of God and how that power affects us in gospel community with others. Gospel doctrine with the gospel culture is prophetic. Francis Schaefer said it this way One can't explain the explosive dynamites of the early church, church apart from the fact that they practiced two things simultaneously orthodoxy of doctrine and community in which the world could see. By the grace of God, the church must be known for its purity of doctrine and its reality in its community of the gospel. The love of God in practice is beautiful, must be present. And I'm, beloved, looking at the time, I'm going to save this last part of the gospel, being powerful for all for the next time we hear the word. But I, I will end with these words to you Look to Jesus. Remember what he accomplished in the gospel for you. It is the power of God into salvation. Now, many of you probably don't know this. From my younger days, I used to do a little freestyle and a little bit of rapping. I'm not going to do that for you today. But I wrote a poem to help you understand the message and the power of this gospel. So I know some of you might like this and some of you might not like it, but I hope you just listen to the words, okay? It says, God is the judge, this jury. Supreme Court all in one. This is where the story has begun. This is the story of his glory. He is the sovereign creator who made everything good for man's favor. But man ate from the tree of good and evil, knowing because Satan was a foam. Promising them to be like God, the devil came as a fraud. Sin affected everything in the universe and left it with a curse. But God spoke of the promised seed where our savior would bleed. The Lord fulfilled his promises, not like his nemesis. He made Abraham a father of nations. He rescued them from the Egyptian brutality and led them to the wilderness with a promised land for a better humanity. However, the nation kept sinning, believing their own lies, feeding to the enemy and his spies. Then on down the line, a Davidic king just came in time. They had a good start, but Israel would still depart. They were supposed to be a light to the nations. Instead, they were rebels with judgment facing. Kingdoms were split, so exiles was left. God was faithful to leave some to remain so they would worship his name. After many years had passed, Emmanuel came at last. Born of a virgin, the messianic king was a different version. He didn't come with might and sword, but he was humble, to serve the servant Lord. Jesus went to the hurt and sickly, and he did it willingly. Jesus obeyed the law perfectly because he was led as one in the Trinity, Father, Spirit, Son. His ministry begun. He walked with his friends and spoke about fleeing from worldly sins. Christ set the captives free from their sinful leprosy. The journey Jesus led was different from every what everyone said. Instead, he became the sacrifice that bled. He was the boss. He went to the cross, not counting quality with God, something to be lost. He was obedient to the point of death, and he gave his last breath so we can know true rest. He took on the Father's wrath so we could know the path. Now Jesus says, come to me. I'll be your best company. I'll never leave you or forsake you for I am gentle and lonely and I'll lead you to be holy. So come to the Savior today and don't delay. Saving sinners is his job every day. He doesn't want you to be lonely and Satan is a phony. He loved the life you couldn't so you would be his student. He alone has the words to life so that you know eternal life. And not know a world of fruitless strife. He died the death that you deserve so you can know love on earth. He bestows you grace so you can run the race. He rose from the grace so you can have the reward of being saved. Curtain torn in two and he did it just for you. Christ will come again in glory and this is his story. No more sin or tears but life everlasting. One day we will eat again from the tree and the Father's casting. True light from the heart of the Savior, so now remember, come to Jesus and sit at the table. This is the banquet of the King as you hear the angels sing. True worship and spirit and truth. Do you need any other proof? 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. For consider your calling, brothers, that many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful and not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame, shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Except though that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast to the Lord.
0: Praise the Lord that his word is sufficient for our every need. Join us next time as we continue our study of God's infallible word. We would also love to have you join us in person at Grace Bible Fellowship. We meet together each Sunday at 9 a.m. for connections and at 10.30 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the Baptist Student Ministry at 101 East University near Utah. If you have any questions, you can dial 915-308-1208 or visit our website at www.gracebibleelpaso.org. We would love to see you this Sunday as GBF gathers to proclaim Christ. Admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ.